and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions, as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill. I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So today um, we're talking about leadership um, in the midst of crisis and specifically diversity and social justice crises. Um, Now I can certainly talk about all the crises that veterinary leaders have to navigate and there's certainly no shortage of those. But I do wanna be pretty specific in narrowing the scope um, to some really kind of sadly high profile kind of gone virtual nationally or even globally crises. Um, over the last few years, we've seen numerous, of course, shootings of unarmed BIPOC folks by law enforcement and certainly some others. Um, some of these events have happened near AAVMC member institutions. Um, so for example, Alton Sterling um, was uh, killed in Baton Rouge, not far from LSU, Andrew Brown in North Carolina earlier this year. And of course, Philando Castile and George Floyd, both um, near St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, We've seen how these events um, have kind of shook the surrounding communities, and certainly we're all aware of just how big um, the protests last year um, surrounding the, the death of George Floyd became in particular. Now, last year, um, I reached out to my guest um, after uh, the murder of George Floyd, as I'm sure many others did, to just ask, is there anything I can do to help? Um, And also just to see how she was holding up. Um, This year, as the Chauvin murder trial concluded and we were all awaiting a verdict, um, you know, I reached out again. How you doing? You ready? Kind of everybody's bracing, um, only to find that, yeah, they were still bracing. Um, pandemic still going on. And oh, by the way, they're in the middle of their COE visit, you know, (laughs) a really easy day at the office. Um, So, you know, clearly folks are still juggling daily life. They're juggling the pandemic. They're just, and then these things just are happening that aren't necessarily directly veterinary related, but they're people related, right? And so they're just kind of affecting people in the, in um, the academic environment. So to talk about all of this, I'm pleased to welcome my special guest, Dr. Laura Mogar, the Dean of the University of Minnesota's College of Veterinary Medicine. Welcome, Laura. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Like after saying all that, I'm like, how are you? How are you really? How are you really? So Laura, before we kind of dive into our topic, why don't you uh, share a little bit about yourself? So I am the Dean at the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine, as you said, and I've been in this role officially since June of this year, so just a few months, but I had been interim Dean for almost two years prior to that. So that's uh, my recent background. Before that, I was Associate Dean for Academic and Student Affairs, so working closely with students and faculty for almost, uh, gosh, I think 18, 19 years and before that, uh, more heavily involved in, in teaching, not administration, with a little bit of clinical practice sprinkled in there uh, along the way in, in primary care general practice. 
Great, great, awesome. So uh, I've known you for quite a few years now, yeah. and, and um, <laughs> I just love um, the work that you've done, and and just uh, just so great to work with. So I'm really no, glad to have you. you on the show. Thank <laughs> so you. Welcome. So you all have experienced quite a bit in the last oh my goodness yeah years. um you know and certainly things seem to reach a pretty fever pitch um last year after the death of George Floyd so can you you know tell us just a little bit about what that was like from the the vantage point of a dean of event school <laughs> absolutely yeah um I'm it was obviously a really, really hard time for lots of people. And I thought it was important to recognize not only internally through self-awareness, but externally through my communications that we weren't all experiencing that trauma the same way. Um, while everybody um, in the local community was in some ways uh, in, in it together, it was very clear to me that my experience was not at all the same as the experience of somebody who perhaps lived closer to um, downtown Minneapolis, uh, Lake Street area, and certainly different than folks in the BIPOC community who were a part of the College of Veterinary Medicine were experiencing that differently. And so that was one of the things that I really wrestled with was how, how do I effectively communicate as the college's leader, but not not represent myself as as having the same experience that everybody else within our community was having. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of the the kind of um, internal struggling that I was having at the time and and why I reached out to others for help. Yeah, yeah, because I can imagine that. I mean, yeah, this is... This was a major traumatic event. Um, right. College had actually experienced something similar yeah. um, just a few years ago with Philando Castile. And, and, and um, you know, he uh, was killed much closer to the school. Much, much closer. Yeah. I think I think that when when you last visited, yeah. I think we drove by there, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Philando Castile was killed just blocks from the College of Veterinary Medicine, um, and that was its own very different disorienting experience um, for people who haven't spent any time in the um, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. These are called the Twin Cities, so St. Paul and Minneapolis are um, together make up up the Twin Cities, and the vet school is on the St. Paul campus, and the rest of the um, health sciences part of the university are on the Minneapolis campus. But Philando Castile was killed so close to uh, the College of Veterinary Medicine, which is just, uh, although it was a much less... um, There was less public outcry at that time, certainly uh, less national and international attention that was um, that hit close to home in a different way. Yeah. 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 So do you feel like, you know, last year that it not only was it kind of happening again, but then it just blew it blew up in such a way that I only can imagine what faculty, staff and students even were just. I mean, you know, kind of reeling. 
Yeah, definitely. The, um, the, the, the focus on George Floyd's murder was so much more intense everywhere, including locally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, certainly obviously in the twin cities, but I mean, locally at the college of veterinary medicine. Yeah. Yeah. How did COVID complicate things? Well, yeah, COVID complicates everything. I mean, especially back then, the way uh, the, 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 I mean, these are hard conversations to have, but when we, when we don't have really the opportunity to physically get together, to have conversations that adds um, to the complexity. And back then, uh, you know, our veterinary medical center and our veterinary diagnostic lab folks were on campus working really throughout the pandemic, but the rest of us were required to be remote at that point. And so almost, not almost all, all communication, at least um, around these events was through email or, you know, occasionally Zoom. And, you know, we know that, that that's not the best way to communicate about really hard subjects. Yeah. So, um, so email and Zoom, but, you know, what are some of the um, yeah. some of the things that you did to try to kind of help get your arms around right. the flood uh, of emotions? Um, yeah. You know, at the, and, and by the way, I just want to make sure that I'm clear with the listeners that I'm not, um, I'm not proclaiming that I did things perfectly or that I am a role model for this. And I just want to make really clear that I, I'm talking about the struggle and the journey yes. more than yes. the kind of um, the playbook. Yeah. So, you know, I reached out to our diversity um, committee uh, and our diversity committee members to get some help with, with um, thinking about messaging. I think at that point uh, in time, leaders around the world were feeling that they should make a statement. And you and I have had some conversations about that, right? Like, what does it mean to make a statement and who am I to make a statement? But silence speaks volumes as well. So a statement felt really important yet insufficient and the imposter syndrome that I had to deal with at that point was huge. So um, I, I reached out to diversity committee members to get some help with crafting a message. And I got some really, really helpful feedback from folks who'd been through uh, the advanced diversity certificate um, that's offered through the Office of Equity. It's actually called the OED or Office of Equity and Diversity Certificate Program at the university. And so that was really helpful to me to to get some some guidance and coaching from folks who had gone through different kinds of learning than I'd uh, gone through. Um, And yet, Given the the you know kind of lack of representational diversity at the University of Minnesota, especially within the College of Veterinary Medicine, uh, I was really well aware that um, we didn't have BIPOC voices represented. And one of the things that I think struck me um, in in sort of reflection shortly thereafter was that. Of course, BIPOC folks are going to be impacted differently mm-hmm. than majority folks in, in this kind of event. And so we, we think a lot when we're doing DEI work about not leaning too heavily on BIPOC folks, but especially in a time like this, when we both need those voices the most and 
either those voices may not be available because they're dealing with their own like, <laughs> yeah. real time stuff. Yeah. Depending yeah. on, uh, you know, what, how, where someone lives and how close they were to sort of ground zero of that and, and the protests and, and um, other, other uh, social unrest. Uh, but also just the, you know, that's an awful lot to ask. That's an awful lot to ask. But it was it was really important to me to, uh, you know, when once I had more access to talk to some of my BIPOC colleagues that at that time were on the diversity committee, I was able to get a much richer perspective of um, everything. But also I was able to then find my voice a little bit better about what what do I have to contribute here that doesn't feel like you know, who am I to be the spokesperson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine um, that it, it just kind of, I guess, as a as a person of color, as an African-American, just kind of thinking about what that must be like on the other side, like, do I, do I send them an email or not, right? Yeah. Do I pick up the phone or not? Um, you know, I, I've been pretty open about the fact that I've been doing this work for so long, and yet last summer was without question, this last year has been the most difficult yeah. of my entire career. Um, because, uh, you know, it, that the, the need to balance uh, effectiveness <laughs> yeah. while also trying to deal with your own stuff, right? Your yeah. own trauma is, is hard. Um, right. um, so I can imagine that, that kind of broaching that is, is challenging. So, you know, one of the things that we certainly, uh, um, talk a lot about in veterinary medicine is well-being. We all know that like, you know, we all know <laughs> well-being <laughs> is a challenge and, in, in veterinary medicine, um, you know, what did you do to take care of you yeah. <laughs> during that time? Yeah, you know, um, for me, taking care of myself when when times are tough, which, you know, over the last couple of years have been more often than not, getting outdoors is, is a survival strategy for me. Getting outdoors, whether it's walking the dogs or um, just sitting outside when I can sit outside, or um, I think I remember at that point... Um, um, actually getting away to do a little bit of camping and, and just sort of unplugging from things to some extent, while also to another extent, staying connected to try to continue to um, know what was going on and advise on things like, I mean, we had to go into reduced operations, uh, you know, because of the, the, um, the uncertainty of the sort of safety of, yeah. clients and staff and faculty um, as as protests kind of moved around the Twin Cities. Um, so it was it was certainly a, a balancing act. But I guess that's one of the, um, if you can say it, silver linings of the pandemic. I, at that point, I was required to work remotely. And so uh, being physically on campus to be a support wasn't wasn't an option, nor would it have been supportive. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. but yeah, when possible getting, getting outdoors and uh, sort of reconnecting to, to nature is sort of my, my go-to. 
So here's a dumb Southerner question. Not that we Southerners are dumb. Don't anybody like start <laughs> tweeting me or sending me nasty messages, but I'm, I'm a Southerner. But so like, how does that work during the winter? Because, you know, we are not. Yeah. We're not, well, we're yeah. not Minnesotans. <laughs> sure. Right. Um, warm clothing, polar fleece lined pants, and a really nice parka is what you need to get outdoors in the winter at Minnesota. And um, so I was one of those people who got a pandemic puppy. And she's gotten me outdoors a lot more than than I did before the pandemic. So um, awesome. you gear up, you gear up and you get outside. Yeah. All right. I, I, I believe you. <laughs> I believe you. Um, so, you know, not that you can prepare. I mean, you can't. You can't prepare for things like this. Most crises, you, you can't prepare for them. Anyway, you can do that emergency mm-hmm. kind of preparedness as much as yeah life allows. But right. you know, um, but you know what kinds of of things um, might you have in place to help um, you know the college or other colleges? You know what kind of recommendations might you make mm-hmm. to help folks navigate these crises? Yeah. Well, you know, part of it is having the right people on your team, having a team with the right positions on it. And that was so we did not at that point had not yet hired our uh, director of diversity, equity and inclusion, Elizabeth Martinez Podolsky. Um, but the the process to navigate to create that position was was well underway at that point. But since then, having Elizabeth on the team has made everything so much better. To have, to have a professional who um, has the experience to be there, to help advise me and coach me, but also to help work with others and support others uh, when they're having, when they're going through whatever the crisis is and there have been other crises besides the ones you mentioned since then. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So it's been really fantastic to have her on the team. Uh, you know, with both the DEI expertise and also the higher education administration expertise uh, has been phenomenal. Um, before Elizabeth was on the team, again, having a, a some sort of community of practice or um, a committee of folks who are doing the work, you know, they, yeah. I'm not an expert. They are often not experts, uh, but, but that are doing the work and learning along the way mm-hmm. um, is I think been really helpful. And we've done that in a couple of ways uh, beyond the diversity committee that we've had since Oh, maybe 2016. Um, so not as not as long as we should have, but uh, you know, as they say, the best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago, and the second best time is today. <laughs> so, um, so having that committee has been really helpful. But uh, also more recently, and maybe it was uh, shortly after the Floyd murder, we convened something that is our a group that is our administrative diversity subgroup, meaning it's the dean's leadership team, a subset of that meets regularly to talk about DEI leadership 
challenges and strategies across the college. And so that's been an additional great step that we started um, before Elizabeth was hired. And now Elizabeth leads it now that she's in place. But that's been that's been another really helpful um, asset from the point of view of proactive yeah. planning and reactive when the when the whatever the thing is happens to have a group that's already working effectively together um, and has some positional authority uh, you yeah. know, to including um, you know folks from across administration. So that's been another helpful strategy. Staying connected to the other resources around campus, our Office of Equity and Diversity. Um, that's been another great. Now, of course, those folks get really busy when one of these things happens. And so I don't mean that um, in the moment I call them up because they're trying to help a lot of other people. Um, but to have those relationships and those connections that are ongoing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, the other readiness piece is just studying and learning, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. reading books, reading articles. Um, we've got, uh, we've got um, opportunities around the college for article clubs, cl clubs and book clubs. And then um, we have, uh, we have contracted with a local DEI consulting group to provide continuing education for faculty, staff, and students. And because this happened during the pandemic, that's all on Zoom. So it's, it tends, <clears throat> tends to be an evening thing. So most, not everybody can attend, but most people can attend some of the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those are, those are great. Um, so for you um, as Dean and as a leader, um, you know, what are some of your own kind of lessons learned that you're willing to share? Sure. Um, know what you don't know. <laughs> know how to connect with people who do know. Not everybody knows, not anybody probably knows everything, but, you know, have that team have that network, um, know that you're not going to get it right and you're going to have to give yourself some grace. And I don't mean that I think that there was anything horrible that went awry, mm -hmm. but um, I think, you know, my, my thoughts about, about these responses or these statements is that they're necessary, but not sufficient. And so, um, there are times we need to speak out and there are times where we're not sure if we should speak out because there's stuff happening all over the place all the time. Right. Um, but one of the things that I've really uh, done with some intention is to think about how to weave the messages that reinforce my leadership values over time in my messages. So it, it isn't, it isn't a reactive message because this bad thing just happened. Well, it's both. We do need to react when a bad thing happens. Um, especially something that directly affects our 
community, whether that's because it's locally or because of some other connection. Uh, but that that the I think it's really important as we uh, any leader who's committed to culture change would probably agree. It's really important that this messaging be consistent over time and reinforcing. So um, it is clear that, yeah, I mean it, that this really does matter to me and that this is uh, something that I'm committed to advancing the work of DEI at the college, not single-handedly, sure. not as an expert, but with, with um, others shoulder to shoulder and um, keeping that in the, the spotlight, even when there isn't something externally prompting it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Such important um, things. And I, I really kind of, there are two things, I guess, that I, I think I wanted to, to know. Well, three, actually. One, um, so book clubs and journal clubs, awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so here's my shameless plug for AAVMC's community read. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> my shameless plug, we're currently reading Why Do All the Black Kids Sit in the Cafeteria Together um, about racial identity development. Um, so always great to hear those kinds of things. And this idea that um, statements are necessary, but insufficient, right? And I think that, that um, the duality of that gets lost on folks. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you don't do a statement, you're definitely going to get crushed. If you do a bad statement, it might actually be worse than not doing a statement. <laughs> but not doing a statement is not really an option, right? Yeah. And so, um, so there's this kind of really weird continuum that you're trying to hit the right sweet spot where you know you're you are reflecting those core values, but also recognizing and acknowledging for folks. I just want to acknowledge that these things happen and that folks are hurting, and that you know, especially with the world the way it is, there may be limited opportunities to fix this, like, right? Right. <laughs> or to actually just meet you where you are physically and emotionally. And so yeah. um, I think that those things are, are really important. Um, and then that final piece, Laura, about, um, you know, making sure that all along the way, um, well before you know, crises uh -huh. emerge because they do it, they do daily. So just most of them are smaller yeah, <laughs> right? or distant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, I think that a lot of us talk about values, um, but we don't talk about what they look like or what they sound like or what they feel like. Um, but if folks are really consistent, we still might not be able to describe it, but we know it when we see it, hear it and read it, yeah. right? And so, so it's really, really important for folks to, to, you know, establish those core values and adhere, <laughs> like constantly be a mirror reflecting. All right. So now that a year has passed, um, we're also, you know, months past the trial verdict, the sentencing, that's all kind of wrapped up things of course are still happening um related to uh the floyd case in particular there's just always kind of churning um yeah. uh things kind of happening but uh how how are things on 
selling canvas? <laughs> Have you just moved on to new crises? <laughs> to some extent. I mean, you know, the, the, um, the, I was going to say news cycle, but it's really the attention cycle kind of shifts uh, from time to time. And um, right now, I would say over the last few months, our students have been more focused on concerns about student mental health um, services with some restructuring that we've been doing at the college and with the increased um, need and demand for student mental health services across higher education, right? We're not, we're not unique there. Uh, but, but that has been, um, that has been more of the, the student focus over the last few months. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the learning about all sorts of DEI issues, topics, concerns happen, continues across the college through these various groups, some of which are more grassroots groups and some of which are more kind of um, official committee type groups uh, and, and so conversations about race continue for sure, even though student mental health maybe has taken the center stage in, in recent yeah. months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time to, to talk about these things because I, I just, you know, I just remember um, in the days after <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that all I could think about was well, not all I can think about. I thought I was thinking about a lot of things, but with right, right, specifically right. to, you know, the College of Veterinary Medicine is, wow, they just went through a version of this a few years ago. And now this yeah, one man. is, is you know, and I do think that that the fact that this, the, the Twin Cities had just kind of gone through something like this and um, a few years ago, that it made the death of George Floyd that much more um, uh, attention grabbing, right? Because the, the, the cities had just gone through something similar, but um, I really appreciate you taking some time and, and uh, hoping that you and all of your Dean colleagues navigate all the crises that you well, on a daily basis well. We're, we're all grateful to have you on bat phone. Um, <laughs> You've been a phenomenal resource over many years for uh, both certainly for crises, but also for just garden variety challenges and for opportunities and kind of uh, coaching and advising us along the way. And I've I feel like, you know, that has made a big difference in where we are in 2021 versus where we were in in um, 2016. And I don't mean to claim any, um, you know. Yeah. major triumphs, but I would, I would claim that there's been a, a, a much um, deeper and broader focus on DEI issues. And, you know, it's great to have someone like you at AAVMC there to help coach us from the sidelines or sometimes front and center. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Um, and I just have to shout out Laura made one of my, um, one of my dreams come true. Sadly, it was like, after the worst possible thing. But um, the the last time I was in Minnesota, she took me to Paisley (laughs) so that I could properly pay my respects to Prince. 
thank you. Like that meant well, a next, lot to me. <laughs> next time you're in town, we'll have to go back because Paisley Park is, you bet, back then it was more kind of uh, paying respect at a distance yeah. Yeah. at a chain link fence. And now yeah. there are more opportunities to um, connect kind of more intimately. Oh, I'm so there. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's for to end on a, a positive note. So this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on air. To my guest, Dean Mulgard, thank you very much for joining me for this chat today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to like us on our Facebook page, which is AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Um, And stay tuned. We'll be back in a few weeks. Thanks for listening. Thank you.